Romans chapter 12, beginning here in verse 9, and we've been actually in verse 9 down to verse 21. This is our third week, and we're going to cover uh, it uh, this morning. We're going to finish it, Romans chapter 12, verse 9 down to verse 21. I just want to pray one more time. Lord, I want to thank you for every person in this room, all my brothers and sisters, as well as our dear friends that are here. Uh, perhaps someone here for the first time, and I just pray you would so bless them. But what is it you would like to say to us at this time, Lord? And we just see this time as a time of worship. It's not a lecture. We want to, we know your word is inspired and it identifies what is right, how to get right, stay right, and do what is right. So have your way within our hearts, Lord, and I, I pray this message, help me, help all of us, would bear a lot of fruit in our lives. So, um, and finally, I want to pray if there's anyone who doesn't know you, you would draw them to yourself. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Well, I have told this story before, right? About the guy who goes to the doctor and he's hurting everywhere. And the doctor's a little perplexed, but he says, Doc, I'm not kidding you. Like my head, it hurts. Watch this. So he takes his finger, he touches his head, he goes, Ouch! And then my shoulders, ouch, and then my chest and my ass and my knee, I just, I'm hurting everywhere. And the doctor's like, whoa, whoa, let me just check out your head. Okay, your chest. Okay, your knee. And then finally he said, listen, let me, let me see your finger. And so the guy showed him his finger. He said, the problem is you have a dislocated finger. That's your problem. You know, you're hurting everywhere. You're touching. But the idea is this, is that when it comes to love, on a very serious note, if we have a dislocated love, if we have a broken love, it throws everything off. Love is so important, and, and that's understandable. Why? Because the Bible says that God is love. And I'm mentioning this because you know this, because Romans chapter 12, this is a comprehensive passage on love. I mean, love's morality, love's triumph. Um, it goes on and on and on. We've been studying it how uh, love's morality, it abhors that which is evil. We've been talking about it. But the first idea is that, look, when there's active love in our life, it not only rescues us, actually, but it rescues the recipient. And that's the first point. Love is so important. God is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. In other words, if you have a right relationship with God, that the evidence of that is not necessarily spiritual gifts, not to throw it, it's actually love right? It's not necessarily skill or a talent. It's actually love. Of course, the great commandment is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. And the passage here is saying in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. So in other words, it needs to be a genuine love. We need to ask the question, well, what is love? I mean, let, let love be without hypocrisy. We've been talking about this, but bear with me. Like love loves as an end in itself. Just like, that's what love does. It's like, I, I think of my precious wife. I mean, really, to me, virtue embodied. She just embodies virtue. It's like who she is. It's, you know, I've rarely seen her sin, maybe once. No, anyways, anyways but she's just, just a beautiful, nurturing human being. I love it, right? So love loves. That's what love does. Love doesn't love as a means to an end, right? Like you have Judas where he kisses Jesus, so he shows some phileo, it looks like. In the Greek, he shows some brotherly 
affection. But Jesus said, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Say, what a second. Oh, you're like embracing me, a little affection. Oh, you're doing it actually to identify me in the Garden of Gethsemane so that 600 soldiers can arrest me and have me crucified. It's like, so it's a means to an end. Show me a little affection. But it's like the epitome of hypocrisy. It's thinking evil, right? There is such a thing as love that is sincere. Love loves because that's what love does. Jesus embodied it. Like Jesus didn't say, I will love you if you love me. No, he didn't. No, not at all. On the cross, he's saying, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. So it's like he's loving on the cross. He's offering forgiveness, which was the hope of Israel and the hope of every human being. And he's not finished with Israel and Jerusalem and the world, of course. He's coming back. So it's a love that has a beginning, it's a love that has an end. God's love never fails, never fails. And by the way, when love is active in our life, actually somehow, some way, and this blows my mind, this is what the Bible teaches, it actually carries with us into eternity itself. Like the most important investment we could ever make is to love, just to love. And the thing is, is that we have to understand is that love is not a sentiment. So it's not feelings-based. It is an action and that rescues the giver of love and the recipient of love. That's the first point. And this passage, man, is just comprehensive in identifying what love is. Like, for example, look at verse 10. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. This is not feelings-based. This is an action, right? Like you gotta just step into it. You might be feeling something entirely different than a sense of, I don't know, affection or, you know, uh, you know like, a, like a warmth. You may not be feeling so good, but what love does is love honors and prioritizes blessing fellow believers. It just does that. that. It's a brotherly love. So it's not based upon the appeal of the recipient. It's like, no, we're family. And actually in the Greek, there's two words being used here, philostorgos. So the word for kindly affection is, is that word, and it means a friendly, affectionate, natural family love. So it's not cold it's warm, right? So in the church family, which is the counterculture to a culture breaking down, in the church family, the ecclesia, the assembly of God, the church that, will, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against that Jesus is building, his kingdom, it is like a unique group of individuals that love each other with philo storgus. Philo is brotherly love. Storgus is family love. And if we break this down, it's an action. Notice the word in honor there. In honor means giving weight. So like significance, giving preference to believers and giving preference to one another. This is not partiality. This is priority. So in other words, look, in the church family, hey, we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And it is a priority that we demonstrate brotherly and sisterly affection to one another. It's, a, it's to be a priority. It's not 
Partiality, a lot of details there. Are you guys tracking with me, by the way? Okay, hey, partiality is showing favor to someone for wrong reasons. It actually is showing favor to them because of external realities, because of their face. It's like, the, that's the idea. And like James talks about the half-brother of Jesus. When uh, you go into a synagogue, you know, and, and you see someone walking in there, and, they, and externally they got a, you know, they, they have gold and stuff for their hair, and, and they're wealthy, that's the idea. And you give them special favor because of that, that's actually stinking evil. Because that, now what you're doing is you're devaluing your fellow man who's not like, does not have the face or the muscle or the beauty, right? In, in, in the body of Christ, it's like in honor, weight, in preference, priority. There's a priority of love to be demonstrated among believers. Okay, the question is, what does it look like? One thing is just to take an interest in others. And this means outside of ourselves. I think we need to turn the air on in there. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm just melting down up here. No. Um, but listen, we need to take an interest in others. You know, one of the things we taught our kids, and I see it actually that they, they're passing this on, is that we, we try to prep them um, to have successful interactions with people that were older than them. Because for lots of reasons, right? And it was all in the prep, by the way. So in other words, if you have a child, let's say six years of age, and you're introducing him to Mr. Smith, and you're like, okay, Johnny, like, look, look Mr. Smith in the eye or give him a handshake or whatever the case is. If you're trying to do that in the moment, that's, that's really awkward. It's like, no, it's so for us, it would be like, hey, we're going to go to, to Mr. and Mrs. Smith's house. We're driving over. Let me tell you a little bit about Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You know, I'm making this. You know, Mrs. Smith is a teacher. Mr. Smith does this. And I, you know, and uh, they're Christians. You know, and they have a relationship with your grandpa or something. I'm just prepping them. And so, listen, can you say Mr. Smith? Mr. Smith. Okay. Well, listen, maybe even ask them a question. Take, you know, get out. It's like, ask them a question because Mr. Smith, I don't know, you... This, I'm really making this. He was an astronaut, right? So it's like, ask us. Hey, listen, we had someone over at our house, the great Evie Hill, who actually inaugurated uh, Martin Luther King for the Southern Leadership Christian Conference. He was the one that inaugurated King. So he comes over to our house, and Pete, who's like, I think, fourth grade, was doing this project on Martin Luther King. I said, hey, listen, you want to, you want, this is an opportunity. It's like before Dr. Hill could even get in the home, Pete's there looking at him. He's ready with his question and, and, uh, and about Martin Luther King. And, and, and Evie Hill said, well, yes. He had this beautiful kind of rhythm, the way he spoke. Yes, I know, I know, you know, Martin. And uh, I knew his daddy. You know, I can't do it. Anyways, yeah, I, his daddy more than Martin Luther King. And his dad was quite different. I remember when I'm saying this. His dad was quite different than Martin Luther King. He wasn't like this turn the other cheek. Like some guy punches him. He's going to punch him back, right? I mean, that's what he said to Pete. Anyways, so a little insight. That was Martin Luther King's dad. That, um, anyways. So, uh, but look, the point is, is that one way that we can prefer each other, honor each other, man, just got to get outside of yourself. Ask questions. Take an interest in another. Number two, if you look at verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What does this mean? 
Um, love actually meets emotional needs. That's what it looks like. Like when, before prayer, or I should say the service, we were praying and there was an incident referenced and someone in our church who was suffering. And um, so I just, and I thought of this, I thought, okay, weep with those who weep. Like the Bible says, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. That's, a, that's actually a great, beautiful thing right there. It's like God made us to feel things deeply. Jesus felt things deeply. Jesus was like present in his pain. He's weeping over Jerusalem. You know, the Bible says that the Lord takes note of our tears and keeps them in a bottle. I mean, just think about what one tear potentially embodies, just one. It could be a death of a child 30 years ago. It could be an answered prayer, right? I mean, it's just amazing how God made us in such a way that we can cry even. And the Bible tells us one day in heaven, there is no more pain, nor is there crying, right? Well, look, here's what love looks like. Love makes a connection with other people. When they are joyful, they step into it. You're present. That's the one way we value each other. You know, it's been said, a joy that's shared is a joy made double. A sorrow shared is but half a trouble, right? So when someone is like, oh man, they're burdened, it's like we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Listen, to do that, like to be present and to really listen, I mean, that requires us to be outside of ourselves. That is honoring each other, preferring one another. That is love in action. Can I hear a big amen to that? So it's a simple point. Just take an interest in others. I mean, learn to ask questions. And listen, as my mother would say, to listen is to love. And number three, associate with the ordinary people. You know, verse 16, if you just jump down, I'm going to kind of lump a few verses together under this point, but it says, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. The New Living Translation reads, Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Well, that's important to a family, right? Do not be wise in your own opinion. I mean, what is an opinion? I looked it up. An opinion is a view or a judgment formed about something not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. Interesting. So you can hold a view... It's not, even, it's not even factual. It's not it's like, it's, it's not even, it, there's nothing really to support it, but you have a view on a particular issue. It says also beliefs or views of a large number or majority of people about a particular thing. So it could be said a large swath of people could be holding a view that's not necessarily factual. It's not necessarily based on reality. Right? Yeah, a lot going on, I know. Right. But, but here's the thing. The thing is, is that we all have opinions, and that's fine. We all have opinions, and we all have perspective. Here, here's the important perspective that we need to know as believers. What is authoritative is not 
It's not necessarily our opinion, right? It is the Word of God. That's what's authoritative. So, I mean, it's like, as we navigate through life, it's, it's opinions matter. It's important to listen and respect others. Uh, you may not agree with their opinion, but having said that, the church is so diverse, and this is in the context really of believers, we can learn from each other, right? Because we only see so much of reality as an individual, and it's important we're listening to others, and we're not allowing our opinions on the minor things to divide us. You know, the band Love Song, who penned a lyric at the height of the Jesus Revolution, I love this, they wrote, long hair, short hair, some coats and ties, people finally coming around. Look past the hair and straight into the eyes, people finally coming around, and it's very plain to see it's not the way it used to be. Oh, people getting along, people valuing each other. Oh, something to learn from a hippie? Sure, why not? Of course, Chuck Smith did. I mean, it's like, oh, it, Lonnie had a few opinions? Yeah, I mean, he actually was flexible and learned, and look what God did, right? And the Bible says, we follow, just get this, we follow the Lord of glory. It's like, what are you talking? Well, what is glory? What is Jesus' glory? Um, Jesus was not a man who became God. All right, it's like, oh, well, he started out like in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. And then he, I don't know, he was a self-made man. And then he got really, really cool shoes and real threads and went to the finest restaurants. And then he ascended to some God you know, and he's unapproachable. No, 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 no. That, that's not Jesus' glory. Jesus' glory is that Almighty God became a man. He lowered himself. He became poor on our behalf. The Bible says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Can I hear a big amen to that? My point is, our Lord came down, right? He associated with every human being, with the sinner, without sinning. Um, he demonstrated love. The greatest among you shall be your servant. So it's not, my point is, is that Jesus was not like, you know, again, unapproachable. He is associating with big, small, black, and white. And the Bible says, for us, we do not hold the faith of the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, with partiality. It's like, man, that's stinking evil. So in other words, I would show special favor towards an individual based upon external realities, based upon the melanin content of their skin, based upon their education, whatever the case is. That, that is so antithesis of Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the Holy One, the rich one in heaven, lowered himself. And he came and dwelt among us. And we need to demonstrate that within the church family. It's like we value. It's like I honor. Honor. Wait, wait. Every single human being, big, small, black, white. Honor. Preference. Priority. Brotherly. Warm. Not cold. Can I hear a big amen to that? Right? It's like that needs to be. That's what love is. And, and don't wait around to feel it. Just do it. Love is not a sentiment. Love is an action. You know, one of the most influential leaders in modern era, Mahatma Gandhi, was a Hindu. 
But he was so moved by reading actually the Gospels, and he was convinced Jesus was the answer to the ills in, uh, in India. He was the answer to the stinking caste systems that suppressed people like forever, right? So it's like that, that whole thing. Um, and one day, he showed up at church a Sunday like this, and he decided to see the pastor and ask for instruction on the way of salvation, but they wouldn't let him in the church. And he said, if Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. Look, I remember when I was like 18 years of age, so I, I, was, I, was, a, I was a freshman in college. I was playing football at Orange Coast College, you know, at junior college. And um, I was teaching a Bible study. And I don't know how I met this young man. He was in a wheelchair. He's my precious brother. And um, gosh, I miss him. And I, re I remember I used to kind of pick him up and take him to the Bible study. And uh, so, I mean, for him, to just, for him to get outside and for him to interact with others was, was a little bit of a struggle, I'll just put that at times. And not just physically, but just dealing with other things. Sweet, sweetheart, I love him so much. And, um, but it's like, so here's the, so I, I remember like after a football game, and I'm not the hero of the story, by the way, I got to make a point, really, I'm not the hero. Um, my dad was watching me play, so, and, and it was a great, you know, I had a, had a good game. You want me to tell you the details on that? No, I'm just kidding. It's not a good game. So I remember walking off, and there's my friend, and he's in his wheelchair. He's my brother. He's my brother in Christ. And he's like there, and he's just, God bless him. Oh, you know, and I, it's not a big deal, but I go over to my brother, in Christ, you know, go up a ramp, kind of walk a little, go up and see my brother in Christ. Oh, boy, did that impress my dad. Oh, he was like, and you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I, 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 you know, I, I like my dad's approval, to be frank with you. So it's like, it's like, but oh, that, he, he was like, you know, Greg, I mean, you know, football player guy, then you go over to your friend, the wheelchair, all this stuff. He was just that's what he really liked about the whole evening, was seeing that. And it's because of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you that. He's the hero, right? So he's the Lord of glory. That's what we need to embody with one another, right? Such love. And note, in verse 12, actually, we'll actually point to, we have it on the screen, is love takes an interest, kind of a summation, in others, meets emotional needs, and associates with ordinary people. I love it. Romans chapter 12, verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. Let's read the next three words together. Serving the Lord. It's like, what does it mean to actually serve the Lord? Joshua cried, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Samuel says, but serve the Lord with all your heart. When you hear the term serve, you know, all kinds of ideas can come to mind. Maybe think of a waiter or someone working at a gas station or whatever hired hand and you're serving. Bob Dylan wrote a song years ago. Some of you will remember this. He said, you got to serve somebody. And it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And it's like, that's a little brazen. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. That, that's it? That's the only two options? Yeah, actually. No, it's true. And actually, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a Satanist to actually align with the interests and the objectives of the devil. 
You, so you don't have to go, oh, I'm a Satanist. No, no, seriously, no. No, you're just aligning with his interests, his values, what he's after, right? So you, apparently, the Satanists today, which is really growing, they'll say, well, we don't even believe in Satan. Okay, so what do you believe? Oh, we believe in, in abortion. We believe in sexual immorality. We believe in abusing children. We believe in, like, we don't, you know, Jesus Christ is a fake. And so like, the Bible is not the word of God. I mean, we, we believe in evil, but we don't believe in Satan. Oh, look, whatever that is, I don't believe anything that comes out of a Satanist mouth in one, on one hand. But the point is, is that if you ask, well, what does it mean to serve Jesus well, it means that we are reflecting his values, his interests, his will in our life. And in context here, what it looks like in verse 11 is, for one, not lagging in diligence. And the context is the church family and how we strengthen each other. It's like carries the idea of enthusiasm. Don't lose your enthusiasm. You're a member of the body of Christ. I mean, it's like, I mean, there's not a greater family than that. Can I hear another big amen to that? Don't lose your enthusiasm. Sometimes, like, I'm on this little texting thread with a bunch of pastors, and they'll text each other. We'll text each other on a Sunday. And sometimes they'll, they'll be, the phrase will be, hey, leave it all on the field. In other words, get Give your best absolutely today and don't hold anything back to the glory of Almighty God. This is the attitude we need to have. In other words, seize the moment. The time is now. Take advantage of opportunities. What are those opportunities? Well, the Bible says we need to redeem the time. We need to know Christ. We need to make him known. We need to live holy and pure lives. When he says fervent in spirit, it means not only enthusiasm, and care, but great attitude. Great attitude. Jim Elliott, the great missionary, when he read Hebrews 1.7, which says, God makes his ministers a flame of fire, it caused him to write in his journal, am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dread of asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be a flame a flame of Jesus Christ and his love for the world. Like fervency, don't lose your diligence. Don't lose your fervency, your godly attitude and outlook. Don't lose it. And remember, you guys, look, love, when it walks in the room, okay, love like, is more like a thermostat. I think we need to turn on the air. Can you like turn on the air? I think we shut the doors and we don't. Just drop it a little bit more. Thank you so much. Thinking of the thermostat. Thank you. We're multitasking here, all right? Here we go. So, is it a little warm in here or is it not a little warm in here? No, you're doing good. Oh, oh. Is it just me? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. What? It's the lights. Okay. Thank you for your patience with me. I, I've, see, love doesn't just think of themselves, right? right? Love thinks of the whole, what's best for the whole. I hope it's not too cold now. Oh, that feels great. Thank you very much. So anywho, look, just remember, our lives are to be like a thermostat. We've talked about this is the third week. But in other words, we're to influence. We're to influence the climate. We're not to be a thermometer and conform, you know, to the world and to the attitudes of the world. And we're certainly not to be like a vacuum where we just suck the energy out of the room. You know, God help us. 
So like believers, what, what does love look like? Well, love retains that diligence. Love retains that fervency. And notice in verse 12, rejoicing in hope. I mean, look, Jesus won the war, right? I mean, it's like in Christ, nothing can separate us from his love, and his love is not merely an idea. It's not abstract. It's concrete, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, rejoicing in hope. Well, what does that look like? Well, it doesn't say rejoicing in seeing results, rejoicing in hope. It carries the idea that there are some things that last forever, like the will of God and the people of God and the love of God and what we do for God. I think of Zerubbabel, and we know a little bit about his background because when he was in Babylon, he was kind of a big man on campus. He was a Jew. He led 50,000 Jews back to Jerusalem in this monster comeback in history out of exile. It's obviously a true story. I mean, one of the greatest comebacks in history and he is responsible for laying the foundation of the temple. It had been destroyed, Solomon's temple, no small thing. So he's laying the foundation. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. People are walking by, and they're like, oh, man, you know, hey, you know, thanks for what you're doing, but it's nothing in comparison to Solomon's temple. How do you think that made him feel, right? He's just like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And there's like, yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is ever going to work and stuff. Anyways, he was discouraged and he, he was just laying this foundation, just sweating it out and things. And the Lord raised up prophets to speak into his life. And I'll just summarize it. They said, you know what, Zerubbabel, um, don't despise the day of small things. Because one day what you're doing will be the envy of the nations, actually, which we are convinced speaks of the Messiah who's going to come. In other words, what you're doing one day, Jesus is going to walk on this very foundation. So it's like you don't see it now. Hey, remember, remember Zerubbabel, hey, there's certain things that last forever. And by the way, it's not by power nor by might, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. So everything is really kind of small anyways. The small forgiveness, the small obedience, do it, do it, do it. God is at work. We're not going to understand the significance of our life till all the chips are in. Our toil is not in vain. The Lord sees it. He rewards faithfulness. He blesses faithfulness. After all, we live for an audience of one, and he's blessed. And the Bible says in the future, there's laid up for us the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to us on that day to all who loved his appearing. And remember the Lord says, hey, he doesn't say good and successful servant, i.e. based upon the metrics of the world, but good and faithful servant. So don't despise the small things. It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, say the Lord. What does that even mean? Um, hey, the smile, the love, the listening, the sharing of the gospel, right? It's like, do we have full understanding of the impact of those things? No. The Holy Spirit is at work. And what can seem so natural to us, to the recipient, can be a divine appointment that they're experiencing. So rejoice in hope. Can I hear an amen to that? Patient in tribulation. Not bailing in tribulation. The Lord Jesus is the greatest example of this. I mean, constantly attacked but he stayed the course, experienced betrayal, 
stayed the course, despised the shame of the cross, yet endured for the joy set before him. I could go on and on and on. You know, we have certain values and priorities in our home, and it's like, it's Jesus, it's family, it's love, it's perseverance. Never give up. All right, so the natural tendency, we talk about all the time, when, when things are difficult is we want to bail. Bail on the Lord, bail on our family, you know, whatever. Don't bail. Patient in tribulation. Verse 13, this is all love. You know, it's serving the Lord, what it looks like. Distributing it to the needs of the saints. To the saints. There's a priority there, seriously. Given to hospitality. I'll give you a little insight to something. Um, and that is, at a, in a local, I've been a pastor by the grace of God for quite some time, but in a local ecclesia, our priority is to take care of the saints. It's like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, oh, well, like if we have money to bless with rent or whatever, or a medical bill, primarily, or I should say, the priority goes to the saints first. It's like, well, why? Because it's clearly biblical. That's where the priority is to be, actually. It's like, well, what about those who don't know the Lord? I mean, oh, sure, we have a food closet. We'll help on it. But I'm just saying, the priority is to the church family, which speaks to like, hey, everyone needs a church family where others know them and they are known and they're making contribution. What a blessing it is to be a part of a church family. But there's a clear, I'm just telling you, in Scripture, the priority is, hey, the needs of the saints. When Paul took an offering throughout Europe, he brought an offering back to Jerusalem. He didn't give it to the Knesset. He gave it to the church in Jerusalem. So I'm just making that point. And notice verse 14. Hey, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know what? I cannot do that. No, just kidding. No, we all can do that. We all can do that. I was thinking of just ending the sermon right before that. No, we, we all can do it. He said, what does that look like? Hey, pray, pray for those who really are just, you know, acting like an idiot. Pray for them. That's one way we bless them. Pray for them. Sometimes we say, oh, they are the most wonderful person on planet Earth. No, just pray for them. You know, I just think of our governor. <laughs> you know, pray for him. Pray for him. That's one way we can bless, right? And then in verse 17, excuse me, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Hey, listen, when there's an injury, when there's evil, there's injustice, what's the natural response? The natural response is we want to get even. We live in the age of rights, and that's good. There's minority rights, there's senior citizen rights, there's women rights and things. Good, good, good. But there's like this unwritten right in culture, which is the right to get even, right? And what the passage is telling us, as soon as we step into that sphere, we are being led by evil. So it's no friend of yours or mine. So if you've been injured, like, the, look, you know, there's, there's actually a, a family situation. Um, there's, a, I should say, a loved one who had this, I can't, had this terrible thing happen to them. I have to veil this. So look, I'm, you know, it's not that I'm 
not tempted, to be frank with you, to think, you know, I would like to go punch the guy right in the face or something like that. You know, just, it's like, you know, I have, those, I have those thoughts sometimes. But it's like, once you start stepping into that sphere, now you start dancing with evil itself. Okay? You start dancing with you. You start dancing with the enemy. Some would say, well, I mean, you have the biblical principle, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So it's like, you know, if you trip me, I'll trip you. You know, if you call me, I don't know, ugly, I'll call you a beast or something. You call me slow, I'll call you a snail. It's just like, um, look, Jesus responded to that. What had happened in his generation is they took a principle that was to guide the judges of the day to ensure social justice, and they made it personal. You step on my toes, I'll step on your toes. You elbow me, I'll elbow you. Hey, listen, man, you just like be led by that. The whole culture is going to just deteriorate, right? It's going to break down. So Jesus said, look, someone injures you on a personal level. And we're not talking like murder. There needs to be justice by the law. We're talking injury. They cut you off. Look, rather than responding, you know, with bitterness and, and vengeance, um, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. In fact, I heard a story of two brothers who had been mesmerized by a message they heard at church about turning the other cheek. And one of the boys ran home and he was crying. His mom said, you know, what happened? He says, well, Johnny, his big brother, you know, he kicked me. She said, well, what, well, what, what did you do? He said, well, I first kicked him, but he was not supposed to kick me back. You know what I mean? So it's like, I was like, oy vey, right? But as I mentioned, the moment I step out of what is godly, my life not only lessens in holiness and godly character, it becomes a danger zone. And uh, I begin to fight evil with evil itself. And in verse 18, it says, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There's a couple of things going on here. Just track with me. Like, we're not to be informed. Like, the Lord doesn't want the fuel of our life and our outlook to be bitterness and unforgiveness and then just dreaming up, like I was talking about, like, I'm going to punch him back in the face and all that stuff. It's like, no, it's like you get informed by those things and it will morph and metastasize and destroy you. And it's going to destroy a lot of other people as well. As, as I mentioned at the beginning, when we love, when we act righteously, it's not only a rescue to our own life, it ends up being a potential rescue to the recipient of the one to whom we are loving. Now look, sometimes, you know, being at peace with everyone is, is clearly not possible. If it's, if it's possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There's some individuals, their caffeine is conflict. They just love conflict. You ever met anyone like that? Um, you know, it's just like, goodness gracious, I'm trying to get a lot. No, they're just, it's always something. But you do your part. So cut out the bitterness. Be kind. Be informed by love. Be informed by peace. Point number three is love is not overcome by evil, but overcomes evil with good. Can I hear an amen to that? And when he says in verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. So I want to pause here. I want to personalize it without getting into, into details. So we have this, this loved one that is 
dealing with really a terrible injustice. So, and, and this is, you, you know, and so I'm thinking of this passage. And one is, is when it says wrath here, that is the consequence of being outside of the will of God, actually. So once a person, if, there's, if, there's an, if someone commits an injustice and mistreats, maybe sexually harasses another human being, right? They don't repent and stuff. That's like active. That stuff takes place. Terrible, right? Um, hey, he's saying there is such a thing as wrath. Like there's consequences to that. There's consequences to sin. The wages of sin is death, right? So the Lord's saying here, look, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, turn with me to James chapter 5. I just want to take a moment here. James chapter 5. And you know, we mentioned at the end of last week's message that the Lord knew a lot about evil, actually. I mean, he never sinned, but he was treated he was treated terribly, like he experienced evil in all its forms. He was mocked, he was beaten, um, you know, he was punched in the face, and he, he, it was sadistic, actually, what he experienced, not to mention psychological harm, because evil is physical harm, it's psychological harm, mental harm, it's also spiritual harm. He experienced it all and when he returns, actually, it has so much to do with the issue of evil because Jesus embodies abhorrence to evil. He abhors evil. When he returns, he will judge evil. Can I hear an amen to that? No, like, this is like the facts. So we looked at Revelation 13. I'm going to look at another passage. This is James 5. This is his half-brother who's writing this. Um, and this is some of the most graphic language in the scripture when he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that have come upon you. And he's actually not saying those who are wealthy are intrinsically evil, they're going to be judged. That's not actually what he's saying here. He's actually referring to people who are wealthy, who are mistreating others. They're exploiting them. They're not paying them, and they're even putting them to death. This is what it says in the passage. And, these, and this is part of the trials that those who you know, James addresses in chapter 1 is like insignificant trials in their life. He says in verse 2, for your riches are corrupted and your garment is moth-eaten, your gold and silver are cor corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived in, uh, in the earth in pleasure and luxury and fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You've condemned, you have murdered the just. He did not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the, what's the next word, you guys? Lord, right? Look at verse 8. Be patient, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
Verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. In other words, hey, the Lord is coming back. He's going to judge the nations. There is such a thing as evil. Evil harms people physically. Evil harms people mentally with psychological Torah, lies, and deceit. And evil harms people spiritually with things that are not true that leads to false worship. And ultimately, righteousness and justice will be demonstrated on planet Earth. So it's like, hey, look, um, there's consequence to sin. That's wrath. Vengeance is mine saith the Lord, okay? And he is the righteous judge. We are not. So we're in the business of being informed by love, informed by forgiveness, informed by blessing. You know, people that are really difficult, namely, pray for them, right? Vengeance is mine. It's not like the Lord's. It's not ours. It's his. Can I hear a big amen to that? So, Lord, we love you, and I, I, just, I just thank you for the most beautiful church family. And just speaking of love, thank you for this morning's enlightenment in so many ways and challenge. And I, I just want to thank you, Lord, that the church family here, golly, it's a beautiful family. There is love for you and for each other, and may it only increase. Help us, Lord, not to be cliquish, in any way. Help us to see the individual. May it be known as it already is and continue to be known. When we have friends that come into our gathering, may they really sense your love. May they sense your love in practical ways by uh, people who take an interest in each other and listen and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you came the first time. You wore the crown of thorns that is symbolic of sin. We all thank you for this. You died in our place. You paid the debt of sin. You are the answer to the core problem of man, which is separation from you. Um, we thank you, Lord, while wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And you know, I'm saying these things because I want to switch gears a little bit. I mean, this whole message has been primarily been addressed to followers of Jesus, you know, calling us to embody what Jesus embodied, love uh, within the church family and to those, of course, outside as well. But it's, it's a message given to believers. But I want to speak to you if you've yet to open your heart to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What I didn't know before coming to faith in Christ and, and experiencing it, because he's alive, that you know, there's a big difference in like knowing of Jesus versus actually knowing him, like having a relationship with him. And the Bible says even Satan believes in God. So he, he recognizes the Almighty, but of course is like not in a right relationship. So it's not enough to just acknowledge Jesus or acknowledge that God exists. Um, Jesus said he stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone would hear his voice and open the door, he would come in. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except to be through me. He didn't say he was a way, a truth, but the way, the truth, the life. And he demonstrated it 
by resurrecting from the dead. Listen, I wouldn't believe in Jesus. I wouldn't even be here this morning if I wasn't convinced Jesus is alive. He resurrected 2,000 years ago, and I'll tell you, he's come into my life. Um, And much more than just something psychological, I'm talking about the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, he wants to come into your life. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to give you the assurance of hope beyond the grave. Um, But what you need to do is you need to open the door to him. You say, well, how do I do that? Recognize what he's done for you. That is, he died for you, resurrected. And number two, Jesus said, we need to repent, which is like making a U-turn in life. There's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go that way, a narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few be that find it. Jesus said, I am the way. And the Bible says we need to call upon him. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. You say, well, Greg, I mean, is that it? Um, yes. I mean, you, you know enough to take that step. You know, it's like getting on a plane. You know, there's that moment you step over that threshold and, but you got, you know, you, you don't have to. You could stop. But, but the Lord is saying, no, I want you to take this step, step of faith and believe that I died for your sins and resurrected and I want to come into your life, forgive you and give you hope beyond the grave. I mean, to believe in Jesus, he will honor that belief. To pray, he will honor that prayer. And I would like to lead you in a word of prayer if you would like to receive Christ. And, and maybe, maybe this is a moment in your life that you need to recommit yourself to the Lord. And he's calling you back to him. And I would encourage you to step into this prayer. But church family, if you would like to join in with this prayer, uh, you can do so, of course, as a way of encouragement. But for those of you who'd like to pray to receive Christ and turn to him as Lord and Savior, I encourage you, pray with me at this time. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me and resurrecting from the dead. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, come into my life. Fill me with the life of God. And teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for dying for me and resurrecting from the dead, making me your child, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.